Sometimes I feel like we are just about to arrive. Does anyone hear me when I say that? Maybe I should say sometimes I feel like I am just about to arrive. I have been future-oriented since I was a little kid. I have this very distinct memory of being in the sixth grade and thinking maybe this year, this year, this is the year that I will fully become my true and unabashed self. <laughs> that I will fully arrive in life and never look back. Sixth grade came and went, and by the seventh grade, and the specificity of this memory makes me certain in its truthfulness. I was already looking back in horror at my sixth grade self, particularly the self that had the audacity to wear Birkenstocks and multicolored socks to school. My sixth grade self, at least according to the astutely critical seventh grader that I had become, certainly did not deserve the title of fully arrived Lindsay Franklin. <laughs> As I grew older, this future orientation manifested itself in different ways. I remember being in my late 20s and thinking, 32. <laughs> 32 is going to be the year. 32 is when I'm really going to be living. Or when I was seeking ordination in the United Church of Christ and thinking, then, then, I will be fully who God called me to be. Some of you who are more evolved or more wise than I am might be sitting here thinking, I have no idea what she's talking about, and I am happy for you. <laughs> but I don't think I am alone in this way of thinking. In his book, 4,000 Weeks, Time Management for Mortals, and I promise this is a, actually a quite a deep book, <laughs> even though its self-help title might betray it. Um, writer Oliver Berkman describes what he calls as an instrumentalization of time. To see time itself as a means to an end, as something to be used or spent, and I quote, to focus so fully on where you are headed at the expense of where you are right now with the result that you find yourself living mentally in the future, locating the real value of your life at some time that you haven't yet reached and that you likely never will. He calls this when I finally thinking. And, that, as, and you can hear what that means, when I finally. In, the copy, in my copy of this book, that passage is underlined and I wrote, yes, 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 in the margin. Can you see any when I finally thinking in your life? When I finally reach that life milestone? When I finally finish all the work that's piled on my desk? When I finally get back to normal after COVID? When I finally, when I finally, when I finally? Berkman describes this mentality as being rooted in our desire for control. And again, I know nothing about that. Our desire to control our way into some future happiness. It's our very human way of reckoning with the inherent uncontrollable and uncertain nature of life. He also describes it as an underlying force behind much of our anxiety as a society. Because the truth is we never seem to get there. Here I am, 36, an ordained minister, and I think I can say with complete confidence 
that I still have not yet arrived at this myth mythical, indescribable arrivedness. Perhaps I never will. So what does this all have to do with Jesus talking his, to his disciples at the beginning of the first century? And what does this have to do with those of us trying to follow Jesus in the 21st century? I pray we will arrive at least a little bit to some answers to those questions. We meet Jesus in the 13th chapter of, John, of Mark's Gospel. He and his disciples are coming out of the temple. As his disciples marvel at the magnificence, and by all accounts, Herod's temple was magnificent. Jesus offers an apocalyptic vision of the future. Not one stone will be left unturned, or sorry, what, not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. His disciples are understandably uneasy with this future. When, they ask, when will this be? And more importantly, how will we know that it is about to arrive? Jesus doesn't answer their question. Instead, he continues with more apocalyptic visions of false prophets, of war, of rumors of war, of endings yet to come, of kingdoms against kingdom, of earthquakes and famines, and then, cryptically, birth pangs. Mark's gospel is written around or just after, we don't quite know when, but around tumultuous times in antiquity. The Jewish-Roman wars from 66 to 70 CE were brutal, with Jewish resistance to the Roman Empire eventually ending with the destruction of the temple in 70 CE and the crushing of the resistance. All of Jesus' predictions come true. Wars and rumors of wars, kingdoms against kingdoms, stones thrown down, the temple dust. As Jesus speaks, a whole way of life was indeed beginning to come to an end. The Markan community writing this gospel would have felt deeply the anxieties of those disciples, the desire to know when exactly the true end is coming, and just what exactly it all means. These desires pulse through the history of the church. From the writings of Paul, through the early church, there is this sense that the end is indeed about to arrive in the lifetimes of those early Christ followers. And given how deeply apocalypse and salvation are intertwined in the Christian imagination, there has always been this persistent insistence that maybe this time, this is the year that salvation arrives. For Mark, the destruction of the temple was indeed a sign of the imminent end and the imminent coming of the kingdom of God. Christians throughout history have looked at all the things that Jesus speaks of in this text. False prophets and war and rumors of war and kingdoms against kingdoms and earthquakes and famine as harbor, harbingers of imminent salvation. Some faithful souls have even had the audacity to predict the date and time, precisely the moment of its arrival. As we speak, there are faithful people who are waiting patiently, seeing the chaos of our own age as a clear sign that the end is near and salvation is coming. In chaotic times, we want certainty. 
when we can't find it in the present, we look hopefully, desperately, to the future. But what if this focus on the future keeps us stuck there, locating the real value of our lives as people of faith at some time that we haven't yet reached, in a way that doesn't serve us? What if it, miss, it makes us miss what God is doing here in the present moment? And what if there is another, what if this is another version of the when I finally thinking that actually feeds our anxieties? Here at Richmond Hill, we might not be waiting for the end times, but what about the when I finallys of our life together? When we finally can worship in the chapel, when the construction is finally done, when we finally can call and welcome a new co-pastor, when we finally have more residents here, when we finally are finished with this year's fundraising. I can think, I think that quite a lot. <laughs> when we finally get back to normal, when we finally, when we finally, when we finally. Theologian and womanist scholar Emily Towns writes of salvation not as a static moment in our lives or in as the as of yet unrealized future, but as a continuous process of repentance, forgiveness, and new birth. Or, put in a different way, she sees both the endings and the beginnings yet to come in Mark's gospel not as a one-time, not as one-time impending future events, but as part of a messy, continuous process of salvation. In many ways, it would be easier if this salvation thing were a one-time deal, something we could always count on in the imminent future coming. If life is not awaiting some future salvation, but dealing with the messy right now of death and destruction and birth and new life and sin and repentance and forgiveness in a continuous, never-ending process, we don't get the easy answers. We, like the disciples, so desperately and fervently seek. Perhaps this is why we are called to Christian community, like what we find together here at Richmond Hill. This is why we do the work to tend to this community, to steward this place, to create this thing together that holds us. Because communal life holds us. Richmond Hill holds us, this community, in this room, holds us, giving us the time and the space and the people with whom to grapple with the messy process of salvation together. Together, we go through this cycle again and again, birth and death and resurrection, sin and forgiveness and salvation, ordinary time and Advent and Lent and Easter and Pentecost, the ends leading to the birth pangs of new beginnings and leading again to endings and new births that we have no idea even are coming. We never arrive. And yet, God is here in Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us in it all. In these times that too feel apocalyptic, uncontrollable, uncertain? What does it look like to resist the urge to put our salvation in some distant future? What does it look like to resist the when I finally thinking of some future state of arrival? What does it look like to stay awake to the right now, to the messy process of salvation here 
right now together. So Richmond Hill community, here on this cold November night, as we anticipate the season of Advent, that season of anticipation, I invite you into the right now. God is here now with us in this room, in this community, in this city, in Christ Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.